him. We are in our sermon series, Joyfully Growing in Jesus. We're going verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And we are learning that it is a joy to grow in Jesus. That's the reason why the tagline here says, as revealed in Philippians. Because the book of Philippians is about joyful growth in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At this time, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word this morning, just I want to, again, reiterate, thank you for the successful surgery that Mary Blacker received, and to see her rehabbed and back here with us this morning is awesome. We want to continue to pray for Jean Young as she continues to battle cancer, Lord. Please give her the strength on this journey, the endurance that she's going to need. Lord, we want to pray for those that aren't with us. But most importantly, we want to pray for us as a group, whether we're here or not. Our goal is to share the gospel collectively, not individually, collectively. Now, that may require us to go out individually at times, but we do so coming from a unit, a group of people that are like-minded, that it can encourage us, each other, in Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Does anybody know what it is that you're looking at right here? Some of you would look at this and say, okay, I, I'm looking at some sort of technology. That, that much, I would say, is true. But, you know, speaking of technology, who would you say is probably the most well-known individual, uh, you know, the last 40 years or so in the tech industry? What name would come to mind? You can yell out some names. Bill Gates. Bill Gates. I would say Bill Gates would come to mind for me, right? I mean, most people would think of Bill Gates, especially since it's no, now known that he's worth about $110.6 billion. Imagine that. $110.6 billion. And if you're like me and you want to get an estimate of how much money that really is, because, I mean, let's face it, that's like way out of our league, right? So if we want to get our own estimate of how much money that is, the only thing that we have to do is take our own net worth and then add $110.6 billion to it. <laughs> and then we know exactly what it feels like to be like Bill Gates, right? Now, see, Bill has this vast fortune, but it's been put to use within a foundation. Him and his wife, Melinda, have a foundation, and that foundation serves others around the world. It, it serves others by fighting disease around the world. He's pledged a ton of money to serve others that are in need all around the world. And, and speaking of serving, that's what we're actually looking at here on the screen. We're looking at computer servers, and there are a host of of various types of computer servers. Now, not to get too bogged down into the details, there's basically three main types of servers that we deal with, each and every one of us, on a daily basis, maybe. There's mail servers, there's web servers, and then there's data servers. So what is the purpose, the question that I would ask, what is the purpose of a computer server? They, yeah, they provide data to other computers. Basically, they allow various computers to communicate. This communication is considered to be on a network. So when all these computers are together communicating with one another, they are within a network. Church, let's face it. We're like a network, aren't we? We're like a network of believers with the common denominator of Jesus Christ. And within that network, we have the capacity 
to serve one another. And that brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The title for our sermon this morning is this, Servants of Jesus. Servants of Jesus. The text that we're going to be in, like we spoke earlier, is going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. See, last week, let's not forget what we learned. We learned that we can brightly reflect Jesus in our daily lives. We recognize that even though our roles may seem small and rather insignificant on a daily basis, they still have grand implications on a larger scale. Why is that? Well, because God uses our daily interactions to build His kingdom. Today we're going to see how we can be bold. We're going to see how we can be courageous for the sake of the good news of salvation. So as we read these verses this morning, I hope that you see boldness, and I hope that you see those who are courageous and understand that these are models that you can model yourself after. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope that in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may too be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow." I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Amen. As we look at these verses this morning, we want to put them into a very easy sentence to define each verse by. And that sentence would be this, the good news allows servants of Jesus to be unselfishly courageous. The good news allows servants of Jesus to be unselfishly courageous courageous. Now, I'm not going to assume that everybody in here could define the good news, let alone the gospel. See, the gospel, the word gospel is not an English word. So we've turned it into one by representing the gospel by saying it is the good news. The question is the good news of what? The good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Milton Vincent's 
definition from the book, A Gospel Primer. Some of you hear me say that all the time, but I'm going to continue. We're going to continue because we want to be a church with a foundation of the good news of salvation. Let's face it, church, ego is really something else, isn't it? Ego is something else. Sometimes ego looks a little something like this. I mean, let's face it, we can all relate to this, can't we? And if we're honest, if each and every one of us here is truly honest, we all battle with ego. There's not one of us in here that doesn't. The following are a select few quotes about ego. I just want us to think of these quotes. Some of these quotes are from believers and some of them are from non-believers. But regardless, they're rather similar. Diana Black says this. This is what she has to say about ego. She says, big egos are big shields for lots of empty space. Think about that. Osho says this about ego. He says, Love is happy when it's able to give something. Okay, I can hang with that. He goes on to say, ego is happy when it's able to take something. Wayne Dyer says this about ego. He says, you can either be a host to God or a hostage to your ego. Finally, Dwight Moody says this about ego. We may easily be too big for God to use, but never too small. I want to repeat that one more time. We may easily be too big for God to use, but never too small. So what do we see in our first six verses this morning? In verses 19 through 24, what we see is that when you are free to do as you want and to go and plan as you may, it's a bit more difficult. Freedom actually brings about some difficulty. And to have the attitude that we see here with Paul, because remember, he's writing this letter from a prison in Rome. He doesn't have the freedom that we have. So how does Paul begin? He begins by saying, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. When did you last have this mentality, if you're honest with yourself? What mentality am I I speaking of? See, that mentality that that says, Lord willing... I will do such and such. So let's face it. We don't have that mentality because of why? Because of our egos. See, Timothy Timothy is currently serving Paul in prison. And as soon as Paul's legal issues are in order, he wants to send Timothy back to the Philippian church. Why, Why is this? Why is he so eager to send Timothy back to the Philippian church? What does he say here? So that he may be cheered on by news of you. Wait, hold on a second. We're starting off on the right foot with Paul. Because I'm getting the sense that this isn't about him. So that he may be cheered on by what the Lord is doing through them. So we must ask ourselves this question because I know I am. 
It isn't like I just went through this text this week and didn't ask a few questions of myself. So one of the things I asked myself, and something I would encourage you to ask yourself as well, would be this. Are, are we cheered on by what we see the Lord doing through others? Even if it seems that he's doing more through them than he is through me. Because in my ego and in my jealousy, sometimes I look at other people and say, wait, wait, how come he's not doing that through me? But am I still yet cheered on? Verse 19 sets the tone for the rest of our verses this morning. Let's face it. Paul's attitude in verse 19 sets the tone. So have you ever heard of the expression, serve others before yourself? This is the heart of both Paul and Timothy. See, in verse 20, it's clear that they both love the local church. There is no question. He's writing the local church from prison. He wants to send Timothy to the local church. But what does verse 21 tell us? Verse 21 is probably the most convicting of all the verses that we're looking at this morning. What does verse 21 tell you when you take a look at verse 21? I'm not sure what it's telling you, but it's telling me that the normal human tendency is to care about self first. What do we say? What do we do? Protect yourself. We say, get yours. We have that get mine mentality. And, and maybe if there's something left over, we'll, we'll provide what you need. Church, we were born into this sin. And if we weren't born into this sin, why does verse 21 say what it says? For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Big egos. Thankfully, thankfully, we're new creations in Jesus. Amen? And we can follow the example of Paul and Timothy. We can learn to put aside our own self-interest and learn to adopt the interests of Jesus. So how do we go about doing this? How do we go about adopting the interests of Jesus? See, it's quite simple. We can serve others more and need others less. Or we can serve better by needing others less. Okay, so what does that mean? See, the less dependent we are on others, the better we can serve. It almost seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? But it's not. The less dependent we are on others, the better we can serve. So how are we dependent on others then? How is it that we're so dependent upon other people? Let's face it. We're all seeking the approval of others. And we're all avoiding the disapproval at the same time. Either way, we're only focused on our own self-interest when that's the issue. Therefore, how can we better serve? How can we better serve in our lives? Well, it's simple. By not being concerned with others' approval or their disapproval of us. When we go into serving, like we're not concerned what people think about us, 
we can do so and do it courageously because it takes the courage of Jesus in order to do this, to serve like you've lost it all. Serving like this is to serve like you have nothing to lose. If you go into service not being concerned with what others think about you, whether it's positive or negative, you have all the opportunity in the world to be bold and to be courageous in your service, which is why Paul says in verse 22, Timothy's proven worth has served with me in the gospel, the gospel, a.k.a. the good news of salvation, which last time I checked, the gospel tells us to lose it all anyway, now doesn't it? What does Jesus himself say in Matthew 10? He says this, Whoever finds life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Church, who are you serving? Are you serving your own self-interests or the interests of others? Are you less dependent on others so that you can better serve? These are the convicting questions I've been wrestling with after having dealt with this text all week. And one of the things I want to remember is what Dwight Moody said. You may be too big for God to use, but never too small. And this brings us to our first point this morning, which is, it's an impossibility to serve others and self simultaneously. It is an impossibility to serve others and self simultaneously. And let's not forget our main idea this morning, the overarching idea that ties all these verses together, and it's this. The good news allows servants of Jesus to be unselfishly courageous. As a parent, Lord willing, one day as a grandparent, as a son, as a brother, one of the questions I ask myself is, who would I die for? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Think about it. A spouse, would you die for your spouse? Would you die for your child? Would you die for your grandchild? Would you die for a sibling? Who would you actually risk your life for? Who would you give up your life for? Would you risk your life in order to serve somebody else? That's exactly what we see in verses 25 through 30 this morning. Let me, let me read these verses to you so we get a better understanding of this. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life 
to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Basically, what these six verses are telling us is that Epaphroditus was sent to Rome by the church in Philippi to minister to Paul, to specifically give him money that they had raised for him and then minister to his needs. But on the journey, we're not sure exactly what kind of illness he dealt with, but somewhere along the way, he became deathly ill. And that could have been a blessing. The Lord could have done that for a number of different reasons, even saving his life. Bringing him near death on a journey may have prevented him from doing something that he wanted to do on his own. We have no idea. The Lord is amazing and he can work in powerful ways. But however, he carried on and eventually ministered to Paul. And that's what matters. And he did this all the while, all the while being ill. Maybe even homesick for those back in the Philippian church, because we see that as well. And, and again, I, I think his carrying on through this near-death experience is a, another example of needing others less in order to better serve. And we get a glimpse of this in verse 26 where it says, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Do you recognize what's being explained here? Epaphroditus is serving others before himself. He's not concerned with his own well-being as much as he is about the people's concern for him. He didn't want them to worry about him. He's the one on the journey. He's the one doing the serving. He's the one experiencing the near-death experience, but yet he heard that they found out that he almost died, so his concern is for them, not himself. That's thinking of others before thinking of ourselves, thinking to serve others before we serve ourselves. Now, let's take a look at verse 27. Because verse 27 says, Indeed, he was ill, near to death. Again, we have no idea what this illness was. But we do know he was healed by what? God had mercy on him. It was God's mercy that healed Epaphroditus. So, who was Epaphroditus willing to die for? Who was he willing to die for? Think about that. When we know what we know now in these verses here, these six verses, we know that he was willing to die for his fellow brother in Christ. And we should be asking ourselves, would I do the same? At the beginning of verse 28, it says, I am the more eager to send him. Paul writes that. And this indicates that Paul was sending him back earlier than expected. Paul could have been selfish. And after all, he's the one in prison. He's the one that needs somebody to serve him. He's the one locked up without freedom. But he put his own self-interests aside, didn't he? 
another example of serving others before himself. And he knew the Philippians needed Epaphroditus' ministry more than what he did. And because he was sending him home prematurely, Paul writes in verse 29 this. He says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Epaphroditus was to be honored for his sacrificial service. He was to be honored for his humble service, all of which is modeled after Jesus Christ. Because that's the main part of the gospel. Jesus sacrificially died for us, was buried, and conquered the grave. He was resurrected. And that same model of service that we see with Epaphroditus, that we see with Paul, that we see with Timothy, are the same acts of service that we can model in our own lives. So as Mike comes up and we close out this morning, I'd like to close by reading our final verse one more time. In verse 30, Paul writes this, he says, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. See, Epaphroditus was someone who risked his life for Jesus Christ. And judging by the end of verse 30, he did something no one else in the Philippian church could do. Epaphroditus went the second mile. Epaphroditus went to the brink in order to serve somebody else. And this should have us asking ourselves some questions. In fact, Seeing this example in Philippians should have us asking some rather difficult questions, some tough questions. And these are questions that I wrote down that I, I would encourage you to be asking yourself as well. I asked myself, how am I serving others? Am I concerned for others more than I am for myself? How am I doing at mending strained relationships? Am I willing to put my pride and my ego aside in order to mend the relationship? Let's face it, there's not one of us in here that doesn't have a strained relationship with somebody. Like Epaphroditus, am I willing to go that second mile? And more importantly, do I, as it says here in the text, do, do I show respect and honor towards those who do. Because think about that. If we show respect and honor to those who are willing to go the second mile in order to serve somebody else, you know what ultimately happens? Somebody else watches us shine brightly for Christ because of our encouragement of what we see somebody else doing. And that's reciprocal. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Because if we don't point back towards Jesus, it's no good. If we don't point everything back towards Christ, it doesn't even matter. And this brings us to our second point. Like Jesus, we can serve others by going the second mile. Like Jesus... We can serve others by going the second mile. And again, our first point this morning was this. It's an impossibility to serve others 
and self simultaneously. And our main point this morning, the good news allows servants of Jesus to be unselfishly courageous. Because let's face it, what we're being encouraged to do today here in this text is contrary to the rest of the world. The world doesn't think like this. And it's going to take courage in order to serve on this level. But we know we can because of those who have gone before us, ultimately because of the one who went before us first. His name, that's right, you got it. Jesus. Thank you. For